Hey, this is Jesse Paul Smith from Worldwide Dance Challenge in my creative district. And if you want to build world-class communication skills, you should be listening to my good friend, Greg Rice, on the Art of Communication podcast. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I'm talking with Jesse Smith, who's a pretty amazing guy. In the past, he's been a professional dancer, dancing with the likes of Justin Timberlake and Rihanna. Today, he's a co-owner of Inspired Motivated Leadership, which is a sales leadership training company. But he's also the founder and host of the Worldwide Dance Challenge, which is just a ton of fun. You guys have to check that out on Facebook. But he's also the host of the My Creative District podcast. And we get into a variety of topics, like how to communicate through dance and through art. He has a strong passion for this, and it really shows through. Um, What he's learned about leadership and life from John Maxwell and his team, and the keys to selling that he teaches his students and how he's had so much success selling in his career. So while there's a lot of great communication skill nuggets here, Jesse also shares a powerful story about how he turned his life around that I think we can all learn something from. Hey, Jesse, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to have you on today to talk about a a big variety of things from a communication perspective. You're doing some really exciting things uh, around dance and and sharing dance with the world and sharing story through dance. Also, you have a tremendous background around sales and and leadership. So I'm just excited for all the gems that you're going to bring the audience today. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. No, man. Thanks you for having me on. It's a pleasure, brother. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. So Love if we could just start off by just, I know you've had a really amazing up and down journey. So I'd love to just, if you could take a few minutes and just kind of walk us through the journey and how you got to where you're at today. And then we'll kind of dive into some other areas from there. Yeah, man. So, well, I, I guess starting back from as young as I can remember, brother, I was a, I was a, I was a dreamer, man. I've been a performer. I've been a dreamer. My uh, first taste of the stage was at three years old. I sang the books of the Bible at my church. And, you know, soon after that, I was put on like this small city church tour, right? Where I was going around singing the books of the Bible. And I think pretty much since then, I've been hooked from the stage. You know, I just, I love the stage. And I grew up in a a great family, definitely close with all my siblings, but I was an outcast at school. I was just never really the popular kid, right? And so I, I constantly was fighting for people's attention, constantly fighting for people's approval. I was a band geek to the max. I always tell the story that, you know, most people, they get a letter jacket and when they got the band patch, they just added it to their highly decorated, they had to find room where they wanted to put their band patch. You know, I bought the $120 letter jacket just for the band patch. I mean, that was, that was the only thing. <laughs> I, still I got it, right? That's right. That's right. So it was the only thing I lettered in, but you know, because of, because being bullied a lot in school and I also grew to love a, an underdog story and and I wanted so badly to prove that I was valuable not based on if I was the captain of the football team or captain of the basketball team or I was in DECA or I just wanted to be valuable because I was a human being and I wanted to always feel that way so because of that I grew to like this underdog story where people that felt unvaluable 
could show their value. And Mm -hmm. because of my music and everything else like that, I wanted to use music in a way to be able to have a platform to tell other people they were valuable, not based on what they did, but because of who they were. And uh, I was in a band and, you know, we had a record audition at 19 and the lead singer of the band, I was the drummer and the lead singer of the band was getting ready to uh, get engaged. And his soon to be father-in-law was not super impressed with him because he didn't want his daughter marrying a rock star. So basically he basically told us, listen, we we had, we had all this following in our local town and we, we were kind of like a a popular band where we were from, but he said, if we don't get this record deal, we're, we're, we're disbanding. And of course, as we know, most record deals don't go through that way. So um, we didn't get the deal and uh, we disbanded. And, and so the band fell apart and I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what other means to tap into. And all of a sudden, through just some random stance, I discovered this thing called dance at age 20, I, I, you know, I grew up in a kind of a a Christian family. We didn't listen to a lot of Michael Jackson and and a lot of the music that a lot of people grew up in. You know, I grew up in listening to Carmen and listening to like some of the old, the eighties, uh, Christian artists back then. But at age 20, finding like Michael Jackson and and this dance form that I'd never really was introduced to where I'm from, there's not a whole lot of hip hop culture. And so I got obsessed with this idea of dance. I got obsessed with this art form of dance to the point where I was going to the club. I didn't drink, but I'd go to the club because I couldn't afford dance lessons. So I'd go to the club and that's where I would practice from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. I would practice every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. And see, uh-huh. I could get up for work the next morning because I didn't drink. I wasn't hung over. Yeah. I didn't have anything else like that. And when I couldn't dance at uh, the local club, I learned that the local Walmart, one, had great floors. Two, if I went there between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., there wasn't a whole lot of traffic. And there was this section in the cosmetic section that had a big enough square, uh, open square plan that I could practice dance. So I'd listen to wow. the radio. We didn't have iPods back then. I'd listen to the radio and I just practiced dancing in Walmart. And I would dream about doing wow. big things in Hollywood. And, and I remember how I learned how to dance was watching Justin Timberlake videos and Usher videos on Yahoo with a 56K modem, right? Where you, <laughs> where you loaded the video and then you went and did your laundry and you cooked your dinner because it took three hours to load. So I'd watch those videos over and over and over again. And I remember laying in bed, just like visualizing now understanding how all of this works and studying Think and Grow Rich and all those great books, like really visualizing myself literally standing next to Justin Timberlake and dancing with him. And and so several years after that, I ended up getting scouted and went to a big audition down in Florida, got scouted down there and, and moved to, to California and had some had some awesome opportunity to, to dance with, uh, do some work with Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, wow. uh, Channing Tatum, a lot of the Step Up crews. But, you know, just like everybody else, you reach a, a level of success, doesn't mean you stay there. And I ended up uh, having to come home and went through depression, went through, I mean, battle of suicide, and really started to get really passionate again about this message about people being valuable, not for what they do, but for who they are. Mm-hmm. And realizing that we are just valuable because of, of who we are created to be. And I don't have to do anything to earn that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what got me into the speaking circuit. People started asking me, can you come share your story? I know you've danced with Justin Timberlake. I know you danced with these people. So I started using dance as a platform to share that message, to connect with people. 
And then I had a bout where I ended up uh, getting a record deal in 2013, a very short record deal. And uh, that fell through and left me $170,000 in debt and almost facing bankruptcy. And then uh, I was forced to leave from there and go back into the business world. And me and a friend of mine helped grow a franchise from 476000 to $4.4 million in four years using sales wow. techniques that we developed through through the sales process of, of helping people hear better. And that really just catapulted us into consulting and, and helping other people. And that's where I really lived uh, until the whole COVID thing happened. Wow. Yeah. Now that's a, a fascinating story, man. Thanks for sharing it. And, and something that just caught my ear around, uh, you know, people are valuable just for being who they are is is awesome. And I, I, you know, I've listened to some of the Kyle Cease. I don't know if you're familiar with Kyle, but something he said that always got me was, you know, everybody's searching for purpose, but none of us realize that we are purpose, right? Yep. We're looking for love, but we are love. Like the fact that we exist is God's love and God's purpose in the world. And that's really powerful to think of yourself and others in that way. So, so that's huge. Yeah, man. I, it, it's, that's, that's the big thing that I, I want everybody to understand is you're not here by accident. You're here on mm-hmm. purpose. And there was something that was, there was something that a mentor of mine said to me, Paul Martinelli, that has resonated with me for a long time. I, well, I'd say for the last two years, I've really been trying to understand this because I'm a hard worker. I, I love to grind. I love to, you know, but he said, Jesse, you can't make things happen. You can only welcome it. Mm-hmm. And if that means if you can't make things happen, you can only welcome it. Things are coming to you that you're meant to do in certain ways, shapes, or forms. And, and that means that it's, you have to welcome it because it's coming to you because of the value that you bring. Mm-hmm. And that's really been a, a, a shift in my mentality that you don't have to prove yourself. You are already proven. And yeah. I think that's a message that many people need to, to let, not just hear with their ears, but they need to get down into their soul. Yeah, and I completely agree. And and even as, you know, so part of what we're going to talk about mm-hmm. is communication, but so much of communication has to do with the mindset that you're coming from. And if you don't feel valuable in yourself, you're just a lot of times searching for others to recognize that value to, or to show you your value, right? And that completely controls how you communicate with them, what you hear, how you respond, what you tell them, and doesn't usually lead to the best place. Right. So getting being full inside is, uh, I think, one of the most important things to being a strong communicator. If you're always searching for that validation, uh, you're never going to be able to communicate the way you Correct. want to. Yeah, Correct. that's really cool. So, so I know that you're also doing some really cool things with dance right now, right? The Worldwide Dance Challenge. So tell us a little bit about that because it's just a super cool project. Yeah, man, this is this has been a lot of fun for me because it's it's my full circle moment, really. Um, you know, after walking away from my record deal, I pretty much wrote off the industry and I thought I'm out. But I think so many times we we take a skill set, we take a passion, we take something, and uh, we often try to dictate how those passions or what those skill sets are going or how they're going to be used, right? So for me, it was like, well, I've got this passion for music. I've got this passion for dance. So that must mean I'm going to be some sort of star, you know, recording artist, touring the world and doing music. And if it doesn't work out that way, then that means I wasn't meant to do it. Uh (laughs) And what I'm getting, what I'm, what I'm being reminded of right now is that just because it doesn't look the way that you think it should look, doesn't mean you still weren't designed to do it. Uh 
And, and so when this whole COVID-19 thing happened, I basically lost all my income in three days. Uh, I had speaking engagements literally all around the world. I had things that were, that were being booked, clients that I was working with that obviously they all of a sudden, all the events got canceled and people started losing their incomes and stuff like that. So man, it was like ding, 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 ding. At one point I turned off my email because I was getting tired of hearing we're canceling this. We can't move through forward with the contract. But you know, this was actually the biggest blessing for me because for the prior, the prior year, my business had been declining. And the reason for that was because me as a person was declining because what I had been trying to do is I had been trying to ignore who I was designed to be. You know, I'm, I'm a dancer, I'm a performer, and I was trying to wear a suit as a corporate sales trainer. And as I mm-hmm. said before, I was tailoring that suit all the time. And it didn't matter how many times I tailored that suit, I couldn't get it to fit mm-hmm. because it was, I wasn't designed to wear it. And this isn't about your clothes you wear. This is about understanding that there's, there's a, there's a, a framework. There is a, there is a DNA design that, that you've been given and that design is meant to serve your purpose right and there was this part of who i was that i was denying and so even though the sales training stuff made sense i was helping companies literally add millions of dollars to their revenue it still wasn't it was ignoring half of me right mm-hmm. so by the time this covid stuff happened i was battling depression or i would i had just gotten out of battling depression i had just like worked through all of this stuff and it was like my slate got washed clean and I was forced to ask myself, now what? So I thought, if I'm broke, right? If I don't have any income coming in, if I don't have, not broke in the sense I don't have any money, but if I don't have any income coming in, like if I got to rebuild, if I had a way to, to, to wave a magic wand, how would I want my life to look? Mm-hmm. Who would I want to be serving? Who would I want to be helping? And there was just this side of me that I had been ignoring for so long. I felt just almost ripped out of my chest. And they were like, just serve these people. And I kept saying, there's no money in it. There's no, there's no this, there's no that. It was all my fear, right? So all of a sudden I was forced to ask, okay, if I was to serve the dance community, how could I serve? And I knew that a bunch of dance competitions had been canceled. I knew that shows like America Got Talent, So You Think You Could Dance, America's, uh, um, you know, World of Dance, all those shows have been canceled. So there's a bunch of dancers out there that are left with nothing to do except get on TikTok, and you can only do that for 15 or 60 seconds, right? So uh, there had been people that had spent thousands of dollars to prep for these competitions. So what could I do? How could I serve them? Well, let's give them a dance competition. And I uh, started talking with a friend of mine, and we came up with this concept for the Worldwide Dance Challenge. And what it is, is it's a platform for dancers, up-and-coming dancers, that want to make, they want to make their dream come true. They want to make a living by dancing. They want to use their passion for dance to make a profit, to make a, to make an impact. And so we designed this, this challenge. And literally the cool thing about this is that it's dancers from around the world because all we need is a cell phone, an internet connection, the access, the barrier to entry is, is almost eliminated, right? Mm -hmm. Even third world countries that don't have that don't have running water, that don't have, they have a cell phone. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, 
right? So we've already had people from South Africa, New Zealand, India, you know, all around the United States and, and, and the countries keep growing and we're letting style, every different style, just not just hip hop, but you got hip hop, you got crump, you got break dancing, you got, you got ballet, you got contemporary, all these different dance styles. And so many people are like, this is the, like, this is the coolest thing ever because it serves a, a different, it serves a, a, an audience that isn't being served right now. Mm-hmm. Now, the cool thing is, is we figured out a way to get the audience involved because we stream it online and then we ask people to go to the website to vote. So the audience still gets to be their own, they get to be a judge and they get a say in, in who wins and they get to follow the stories of all these different dancers and, and what they're doing. And so there's just so many cool things that, that are happening. We have industry professionals that are, that are judges. We have a guy that was signed to Disney toured with a group called The Party put together by Disney and now has an artist development company. So, I mean, and this guy's worked with Dre, Snoop, Teddy Riley. So, I mean, all these people that are saying, I love what you're doing. I want to get on board and helping us spread the message. Not only, not only are we allowing the dancers to be able to showcase their talent, but we're allowing the dancers to tell their story. Yeah, and that's the part that's power. I tell these dancers all the time: your skill of dance will get people's attention, but your story will connect you to them. And that's really what we want to do: is help them tell their story. So, I I guess two thoughts there, um, because I'm always really fascinated about storytelling and different mediums of it. So, I'll guess I'll pose them both here. One is, I, I, you know, I don't know much about dance and how stories communicated through dance. So any thoughts on that, I think would be fascinating. But then two, as you're thinking about how folks can effectively communicate their stories to resonate with people, what's your guidance there? You know, as you're telling these folks, leverage dance to get noticed, then tell your story. How can they tell that story as effectively as possible? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, one of the things that dance is, is dance is an interpretation of music, right? And I saw a piece done a while ago by Nick DeMora, who is Justin Bieber's choreographer. And before he was working with Justin Bieber, I can't even remember what it was, but it stuck with me to this day because he did a he did a a tribute to his mom and it was somebody else's song, but he was basically telling his mom, thank you for supporting my journey. And man, it, it like literally left me in tears because it was so powerful you could feel Nick's own energy of that song, of that message coming out to speak to his mom and he didn't open his mouth, right? He just, he, it was all of his movements. And we had a contestant on our show that talked about his battle with depression. And he, he's a, he's a crumper. He, he dances a style called crump. It's a very aggressive style of hip hop and he was saying, you know, with every jab, you know, with, with everything that he uses, it's a, it's, he's, he doesn't know how to cry very well. So every time he jabs to him, he's, that's a cry. Man, and when he said that, it was wow. so, so powerful because you can feel energy come from a human body. You can tell when somebody, and that's why one of the biggest things I tell dancers that I coach is, listen, you can kill the choreography. You can nail every single beat every single movement, but you're still not dancing the piece. 
because the dance is found in the emotion. The dance is found in, can I tell that you're speaking from your body or are you just doing mimicking movements? Mm-hmm. What's the difference? And so I think as dancers, they tell their story through movement. All of us have either watched an episode of America's Got Talent or we've been to a ballet or we've been to a production and we've watched somebody dance to a point where we're like just captivated by what we're seeing. They're telling their story um, through movement that way. Now, that's one way for them to do it. But then, of course, you know, still being able to vocalize their story through some sort of communication outside of that is, is also important. And so I'm, I'm telling them that if they can do both well, I mean the the sky's the limit for them and it's it's so powerful to think about i've never really thought about it from that perspective from the perspective of dance but obviously body language is huge in communication um and you know we usually talk about and being able to read other people's body language or just being able to i guess communicate an air of confidence or warmth or whatever from body language but the thinking about actually releasing emotions through body language, I think is, is really powerful. And, and I've also been really interested in how you can change your state of mind through motion, you know, get up and move if you're in a bad mood, right? And dance or work out or run or something. Um, but it can have huge results in impacting just the mindset that you're in at that given moment. Um, so yeah, really Tony Robbins talks about that a lot. Like he'll talk about, you know, changing your phil- physiology will help change your state, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was also something that when I started getting into this personal growth and development, which I didn't start doing until after my failed record deal, right? When I, 2014, when my record deal failed, I was like, I got to do something. And I was at such a low point that I was willing to do anything because prior to that, I thought personal growth and development was snake oil. Right? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is just another woo woo thing for people to be able to sell courses and the stuff doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And really the first book that I dove into for personal growth and development was Tony Robbins, Unlimited Power. Mm-hmm. And started st- started studying his his program creating lasting change, and you know in that he talks about like if you're sad if he he just has you go through the exercises of like think about when you're sad how are you breathing think about when you're happy how are you breathing how are you know when you're excited what what is your how are you standing how are your shoulders like going through mm-hmm. all that exercise and I was like holy smokes like literally just changing your posture can change your mood absolutely and yeah. um, so so thinking about that realizing that by movement dancers can change their state can change your state can they can they can communicate so many different ways and and help the mood in so many different ways yeah and just a side note there's something else i found really interesting and powerful is if you if you so if you want to kind of understand how somebody else is feeling you know look at say their facial expressions their posture etc but then if you kind of internalize that and and you take on a similar facial expression or posture not in a mirroring way but it, it helps you get a glimpse of how they're feeling, which mm-hmm. is really fascinating to me. I don't mm-hmm. know if you simply have a big smile on their face, put a big smile on your face, and you start to bond with them on how they're feeling. Or if they have like a little bit of a scowl, you know, do that and see what you're feeling, and it gives you some insight into their, their thought process. It's just really interesting. Uh, but you, you kind of mentioned Tony Robbins. I know you've also done a lot of work kind of with the John Maxwell team, right? So tell me a little bit about what you've done from a John Maxwell perspective and kind of what you've learned from that around how to lead and communicate effectively. Yeah, man, that's, I mean, the John Maxwell team hands down has been the biggest proponent for my personal growth and development. And, you know, we, the, the reason why I even founded or joined it was because when we were, when we were building our hearing aid franchise, we were looking for leadership material for our team. 
-hmm. And we knew in the back of our minds, my friend and I, we knew that we were going to end up consulting because we had started to see such amazing results. And we had started to ask, getting a lot of questions asked, like, what are we doing? But I also knew that both of him, he and I had had a lot of team building experience him being in the car industry and in the, in the construction industry, me being in the retail industry and developing teams that way. But we also knew that leadership was going to be crucial for our team. And so we started looking up the, the, you know, leadership stuff. And I just found John Maxwell and I realized that they had this John Maxwell team. So I got involved in the John Maxwell team and, and man, the, the amount of, of (laughs) the amount of content and not only content, but like the community of people that we were able to tap into just blew me out of the water. So we started using that content to, to grow our team, started seeing phenomenal results, not only in our team, but just in our own personal growth. And so the, the crazy thing is, is that we go to a John Maxwell team conference every six months and uh, down in Orlando, Florida. And the John Maxwell team is responsible for me getting back into dance because I had done a I had done a Facebook Live video uh, on my. Be careful what you say on Facebook Live; it'll get you in trouble. Um, so I did a Facebook Live video and just passively mentioned who I had one time done work with, and one of the one of the guys that is was pretty tied into the John Maxwell team heard me do that, and the John Maxwell team has always had this. They called it the dance team, and it was really they understood setting the energy for the day. So when you walk into this conference, you know they they would have the dance team, you know, hyping up the crowd with with you know upbeat music, and and it, what what it was was a bunch of late forties, early fifties, primarily women that just eye personalities that like to get up there with pom poms and have a good time, and they did a great job of pumping up the pumping up the team. So the guy that saw me do the Facebook live just was like, Hey, what if I was able to, why aren't you on stage? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I I don't do that stuff anymore. (laughs) And he was like, he was mischievous and he thought, well, I'm going to kind of put you in a position that's not going to be able to deny it. So he went and told the powers that be who I used to dance for. So they came and talked to me and said, Hey, listen, and I was actually approached by the, the president of the John Maxwell team at the time, Paul Martinelli. And the conference theme was unity through diversity. And so he said, hey, this would be perfect. We would love you to come in. And would you be willing to dance on stage? I was like, I haven't danced in four years. And they were like, it would just be, it would add so much to the, to the, to the team if you did it. I was like, well, okay. But if I do it, I can't dance in a suit. And you got to remember at the time I was wearing these expensive suits, tailored, hiding my tattoos, the whole nine yards. I said, I'm not going to, I can't dance in a suit. I got to take, I'm going to, I'm going to look like an 18 year old kid. Cause if you see me dress outside of, of a corporate setting, right. I've got ripped jeans and the long tail tees, man. I'm a, I'm a dancer. So they're like, come as you are, man. So sure enough, jeans and all. And it was interesting because this just proves out how important being authentic to who you are is, mm-hmm. you know, every time we would go to these conferences, we would go to try to network with people to help them with sales and to do all these different things. And we would meet, you know, 15, 20 people, every conference. And, and, but it wasn't like this genuine connection after I got done being on stage for literally three minutes, everything blew up. 
I got more connections, more people approaching me, more opportunities to serve because people connected with who I was, Mm -hmm. not the suit that I was trying to wear. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the most valuable lessons that I have learned from the John Maxwell team. And one of the things that John Maxwell team has done is they've embraced who I am. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a verse that, that I love that comes out of the Bible because I'm a, I'm a guy of faith, but it says, your gifts will make room for you in front of Kings. Mm. And that verse really resonated with me because it was what I, what I'm starting to, to even take out of that is not so much your skills or your gifts, but your design will make room for you in front of Kings. Your, your gifts that you've been given as a part of your design, when you're a hundred percent authentically you, it makes room for you. And because I was willing to get out of my own way, the John Maxwell team has made room for me and for me to serve at the capacity that I'm serving at as, as being able to, you know, I've taught on stage with, you know, with Paul Martinelli, I've been to Romania and taught on stage with Paul Martinelli and Soren Pop. I've been utilized to be a, do a minute with Maxwell, with John right on stage. I've been able to have a private lunch with John. So like all of these things have opened, not because I was, not because of who I was trying to be, but because of who I was designed to be. Yeah. And when I just, when I surrendered to that, stopped fighting it, it made room. And so I've been able to travel literally all over the world and impact companies all over the, you know, all over the world. I've been to Luxembourg. I've been to Romania. I've been, you know, traveled all over the United States, being able to impact people with John's content and be able to use John's the John Maxwell team as a framework to be able to impact companies. But first, have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? I'll tell you, if you're a business owner, you absolutely should be. There's no better way to get your name out there, to grow your network, and really develop a relationship with your customers. I can tell you in the short time that I've been doing this podcast, I've already had conversations with top global influencers, Fortune 500 CEOs, and a host of other really cool people that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to connect with. But you might be thinking, hey, it might be really hard to do a podcast. I don't know where to start or I just don't have time. But I'll tell you, if you work with my friends at World Class Media, they make it super easy. That's who I worked with. With their done-for-you podcast, literally all I have to do is just record the episode and they do everything else from end to end, including all editing and production, development of my intro and outro and music, my artwork and website, development of my show notes, and submission of my show to all the major podcasting mediums. They even created my social media cards. And they offer me coaching along the way as well to help me to become a world-class podcaster right out of the gate. So if you've ever considered starting a podcast, you owe it to yourself to talk to world-class media because that's how it's a lot easier than you think. So just go to gregjrice.com backslash done for you to learn more about the done for you podcast service and to set up a free consultation. All right, let's hop into the show. That's amazing, man. And it's a, it's a message I keep hearing as I'm talking to folks, the power of authenticity in a whole bunch of different mediums and circumstances, but the power of authenticity to drive connection and impact is something that keeps coming up. So, and then something I couldn't agree with more and something I think we all struggle with a little bit is because we always try to put on the professional face or, you know, be what we think people want to see of us. It can be really hard to open up and just be yourself and do that in a way that is meaningful. So very cool. So uh, 
You've done a ton around sales and leadership with John Maxwell. I guess what would you say are maybe the three key takeaways around leading and selling successfully based on your experience? Like if I'm an entrepreneur starting up and I'm trying to build a team, I'm trying to sell to new customers and build my business, you know, what would be kind of best practices that you would share based on your experience? Hmm. I have a very unique approach to this. It's what we built our hearing aid franchise on it's what now of the approach that I teach and coach when I when I do help people with sales and we hear it a million times but it's not about you the sales industry has taught you to approach it from the seller's perspective the seller's journey the seller's process this the seller 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 they talk about the customer journey but they're really trying to lead the customer down they're trying to lead the customer down the seller journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that when I, when I first started working with my friend, Mike Larson, and he had been telling me about these, these, these uh, new techniques that he had been using in the sales realm. And I had never heard of them before. And, you know, you got to remember when, when you take about, when you think about hearing aids, everybody that knows somebody that has a hearing aid has a horror story about hearing aids, right? So they're not the most, they're not the most highly talked about product on the planet, right? Now there's reasons to that and I won't get into that, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that the people that are selling them and, and, and setting them don't really know what they're doing, but they're also extremely expensive for a good pair of hearing aids. You're looking at eight, $9,000, and, um, and, and most insurances don't cover that. Right. So when people come into our office or would come into our office, they weren't super excited to see us, right. They weren't super excited to be sold anything. And I remember the first three days that I sat with Mike, he had 10 presentations for people that hadn't purchased hearing aids before. And I watched him go through and have conversations with people like they were his friend. and. I didn't see him close one single sale, but I saw nine out of 10 people buy. Mm-hmm. There was not a hard close. There was not a, there was not a Ben Franklin close. There wasn't like these <laughs> secret closes that he was using. And after that, I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, and people were handing him the, it was like, people were like, oh yeah, that's what I want. And they just gave him the credit card. Like he didn't have to ask for it. There, it just was a natural progression in the conversation. And I said, what in the world are you doing? He goes, I, you know, I learned these techniques and literally two days later, I'm on Amazon and I'm going to buy something. And it was a $400 item. Okay. Now, mind you, there wasn't a salesperson involved. There wasn't any video selling me on this product. I had made the decision that I wanted to purchase it. Mm-hmm. So I put that, and when I went to go buy it, this light bulb went out of my head and I was like, wait a second. Every single decision that's made, purchasing decision that's made, there is a buyer deciding to buy. What if we stopped focusing on how to sell the customer? And what if we, Tony Robbins says this, if you, if, you know, if you want to figure out how to influence somebody, just figure out what already influences them. Mm-hmm. So if people are making purchasing decisions every single day, 
What is it that's making them decide to make those purchasing decisions without you involved? And if you can unlock the buyer's journey, not the seller's journey, if you can unlock the journey that every buyer goes through to make a decision, you never have to sell a single person again. You just have to coach them through their own buying journey. And when we started doing that, we watched our close rates go from 30% to 75%. Now, I'm not talking, you know, people will inflate their, their close rates. I'm talking people that don't have a clue who you are, that I'm talking 75% of people that would sit down with us. That includes canceled appointments. That would include one-leg appointments that couldn't make a decision. I'm talking 75% of opportunities that get on your books we were closing. Wow. Because we stopped focusing on the seller's journey and started to focus on what is the buyer's journey. And here's the key. Every single person makes a buying decision the same exact path. It's human behavior. We spent 10,000 case studies and studied this thing, this process over and over and over again. And there's this process that the human journey, that the human, uh, human being goes through when they are making a buying decision. And when we started focusing on that, when we started just coaching people through that, they make the decision. And the beautiful thing about that is your, is your, your, your cancellations go down, right? Your referrals go up because they made the decision. And we all know that when we make a decision, we're proud to tell everybody about it. When we feel like we've been sold on something, we don't want to say anything. Mm -hmm. But when we make the decision ourselves, we become proud of it. And so we go and evangelize our decision. And, and that's what we found works. And so that's really the key to, to sales and communication. It's not about you. It's not about your reasons. It's when you start selling them for your, their, when, they, when you allow them to buy for their reasons and you stop selling them for yours, the whole game changes. Love it. Like, could you maybe in just a minute or two break down that, that human behavior buying process that you, that you mentioned there? First of all, every human being needs to be in a comfortable environment to make that decision right? In some way, shape or form. Now that's created. It can be created. And if you are sitting across the table from them, you want them to feel like you're, that, that you're on their side, that you're not trying to sell them anything, that you're genuinely trying to give them consultative, a consulting approach in a way that is their best interest. So like you have no no interest in the, in the decision, right? Just only what's best for them. And that's, you know, most people will refer to it as the rapport building stage. And I can get into the weeds on how you can do that because we took, you know, I, I told you, I studied creating lasting change. So we took a lot of this, these, the, the, the six human needs and we, we baked that into this buyer's journey because we all need to satisfy these six human needs. So when you build this rapport with somebody, now they're safe. Okay. Now they're safe. Now everybody moves away from pain and towards pleasure. So before people are willing to talk about any kind of financial, anything there before, you know, people buy for emotional reasons, they justify for logic reasons. So what you need to do is you need to figure out what those emotions are. And when we are able to, when we feel an emotion as a human being, it moves us from a must or from a should to a must. And so in order for me to, in order for a person to make a decision that they want to buy, they've got to feel pain or pleasure to the intensity enough to make them make that decision that they've, I've got to have this and I've got to make a change now because before people can, it's not even so much about the product as it is about the desire to change. When they desire to change, now the whole game changes, mm -hmm. right? So once they're comfortable, now you need to figure out what is that emotion that's going to get them to change, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then you you need to then then once they realize once they realize that there is this there is this need to change now they need to have justification as to as to why they need to change so you need to give them the data and I see so many people flip that they try to give them the data on why they should change before there's any emotion invested enough for them to decide they want to make a change mm-hmm right? I see so many people talk about what's your budget. They, I'll tell you this. I've seen more people double, triple, quadruple their budget when you do a good job with the emotional piece because the budget is enhanced based on the perception of need. Mm-hmm. And the perception of need is created by the emotion felt past, present, or future. And so if you can get really good at that emotional piece and then really do a good job of helping them justify why they need to spend the money. And then you give them the choice. The worst thing that somebody, that anybody, any person in the sales market can do is when the customer says, well, what do you think you should, what do you think I should do? That's a trap. (laughs) All you say is, well, I think you need to do what's in best interest for you. And you go back and you explain the options that they have and say, based on what we talked about, what do you feel is the best option? Because here's the thing, even if they buy the lowest option, they still made the choice and guess what? They'll own it. And then if you continue to serve them, they'll upgrade, they'll pay more money as things go on. So many people are trying to swing for the hilt. Let them make the decision and then you'll earn their, their loyalty for life. But that's really it. That's the four point, four points. Yeah, no, that's great stuff and powerful stuff. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I want to be respectful of time. I know we've already went a bit longer than we had planned to. Um, I have a list of questions I I like to ask most of my guests who come on, but um, I'll just kind of hit you with one of them, given that we're already a a bit lengthy here. I really believe in the power of conversations, right? And the power of connection. Uh, So I've been asking the folks on my show, is there a specific conversation in your life that you can point to that had a big impact on the path that you took? Wow. That's a really good question. Yes. And I didn't know how much of an impact it was going to make on my life. But when I was 22 years old, I had a conversation with a guy that was very instrumental in in several chapters of my life. And at that time, he knew that the music dream was, was important to me. But he also saw things in myself that I wasn't willing to see because I couldn't logically understand how they fit into the puzzle, right? Remember we talked about Mm -hmm. so many times we want to dictate how the dream is supposed to look, right? And he knew that part of my skill set, part of the giftings that I was given, part of my design was, you know, the heart of a teacher, the heart of a, the heart of a, you know, a mentor. And um, he said, Jesse, you can't change a person's life with a concert, but you can change their life by discipleship. And I was like, no, I want to be in flashy lights. I'm not interested in this discipleship (laughs) thing you talk about. Right. And it's interesting because that conversation never left me. And it always made me ask the question, how do I make that? How do I make the impact? Cause I ultimately wanted to change people's lives. I wanted to be a conduit in which that I could help them change their own life. 
And there was this missing piece that I didn't know because I was like, well, I do know. I've been to many concerts. None of them have changed my life. They might have emotionally charged me, but they didn't change my life. That one question continued to make me ask this same question over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again to the point where now this worldwide dance challenge, all the pieces fit. And that's why it's clicking because it's, it's, it's all the pieces fit. And there's a show, but there's a whole lot of mentorship. There's a whole lot of discipleship that's going on behind the scenes because our heart with this show is not to just do a show, but is to really mentor, pour into the lives of these dancers and help them turn their story into a success story. And so that, that conversation still rings true with me today. Wow. That's, that's definitely powerful. And I'll tell you, it's surprising how many folks that ask that question to, and they have a story of a conversation they had back in the day that at the time didn't have the impact maybe, but down the road, it stayed forefront at the forefront for them. And it directed them over time. Yep. And it, it just makes me reconsider the importance of the conversations I'm having with my kids and other people in my life today, even if they're not seeming to listen right now, maybe it has an impact down the road. You know, so it's, it's really, really an interesting uh, view into it, I think. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So where can folks find you? Where can folks check out the, the dance challenge and, and where can folks connect with you at? Yeah. So you can check us out at worldwidedancechallenge.com. All of the, the episodes are on there. All the dancers that have competed on the show have been on there and you'll get to see a lot of their story. Of course, you can check us out on all the social media channels, Worldwide Dance Challenge, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, even on Twitch. Of course, then you can connect with me personally. Jesse Paul Smith is my tagline along all social media platforms. And yes, I am on TikTok if you are those TikTok fans out there. So I do get on the TikTok. <laughs> I know my kids are. I can't say I'm on it very much. My wife's a first grade teacher though. She just started getting on it for the purpose of understanding like um, what it's you know, about. All, exactly. And, and all the kids in the school and what they're all about. So it's, yeah. uh, I'm slowly being educated on it, but I know it's a, it's certainly a big deal um, for, for that demographic, but hey, amen. Tremendous conversation. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate the time. I can't thank you enough. Um, wish you the best of luck with the worldwide dance challenge. And I'm just really excited to see where it goes. No, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, have a great day, man. Thank you. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.